a pastor is cutting his front lawn. He looks up from his task just in time to see a heavy dump truck back out of his neighbor's driveway right over the neighbor's 18-month-old son who had been squatting behind the huge tires. The pastor accompanies the hysterical mother and ashen father to the hospital in the ambulance. There is no hope for the little boy. He has been crushed almost beyond recognition. And the question comes, where is God? Uh, Those are the opening words of D.A. Carson's book called uh, How Long, O Lord? Uh, Reflections on Suffering and Evil. And there are many things that happen uh, by God's providence that either brings tremendous suffering or tremendous loss to the people of God or to others, or they are deeply troubling or confusing to us. Uh, It happens all the time to varying degrees. When our own plans, our own purposes in life, they are disrupted by the providence of God, his purposes. And it happens when our own thinking and our own will don't fit the mind and the will of God. And when that happens, uh, questions can begin to surface in our mind and in our heart. Where is God in this? Why is God working in this way? What good is this for? And in large part, that's what the book of Habakkuk that we've entered last week is all about. It's about how God's own man this prophet called by God is is struggling with God's ways and God's timing and God's purposes. So we saw in the opening verses of chapter 1 of Habakkuk two issues, two questions that that the prophet is raising and, and bringing before the Lord. One is God's surprising delay. His surprising delay. In chapter 1, verse 2, the prophet says... O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? But it wasn't just an issue of God's timetable. It was also God's apparent disinterest. As this wicked nation surrounding Israel, Babylon is gaining power, gaining influence, Habakkuk asks another question. It comes in verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity, sin? Why do you, Lord, idly look at wrong. And so with these questions in mind, where is God in times of trouble? Why does he seem to delay in bringing righteousness? What is his purpose in this? That we continue now in Habakkuk, beginning at verse 12 of chapter 1, we'll read through chapter 2, verse 4. So let's give our attention to God's word. Habakkuk 1, verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. 
Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he the Lord will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Well, you may have noticed the the simple pattern in uh, chapters 1 and here into chapter 2. Uh, The prophet brings questions to the Lord, and then the Lord provides a response. He offers complaints, and then God gives an answer. So the first set of questions came in chapter 1, verse 2, and then the Lord's response to those questions came in chapter 1, verse 5. Now we're considering a second set of questions that Habakkuk is bringing to the Lord, beginning in verse 12. And then you've got the Lord's response in chapter 2, verse 2 and following. Now, we might say that Habakkuk is bringing more than mere questions or inquiry to the Lord. We might say, perhaps, that he is lamenting. You can feel uh, the emotion, almost, in reading this, the words that are put forth. And lament is a significant theme throughout the scriptures. We have a whole book uh, about lament, lamentations, many of the psalms uh, throughout The book of Psalms are described as Psalms of Lament. Lament is not mere feeling of sorrow or sadness. All of the world experiences uh, sorrow. Lament is bringing our pain and sorrow to the Lord in the form of prayer. Lament in Scripture, therefore, is really a form of praise. But we have to take one more step because Habakkuk, while eventually when we get to chapter 3, is expressing lament, here it seems more of complaint. Now in common usage, we may use those terms complaint and lament interchangeably, but in scripture they often mean two different things. We think of those who were delivered from slavery in Egypt, brought through the Red Sea, very quickly turned to complaining and grumbling. They even charged the Lord, saying, Lord, you've brought us here to kill us. Complaint, we might define as an accusation against the Lord that maligns his character. But lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. Quite different. Now, there may be lament mixed in Habakkuk's words, but there is, to be sure, complaint. If you look at chapter 2, verse 1, notice what he said. This is Habakkuk. I will take my stand at my watch post, and I will look to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, the good news for us is that whether it's lament and sorrow or it's complaint, frustration, doubts, or fears, the Lord can handle our hearts. We should see that here. 
God is not surprised. He's not caught off guard by Habakkuk's thinking or your thinking. There's no action, there's no thought that a Christian could have that would somehow shock or shake the Lord. And not only that, he's the only one who can perfectly handle our hearts. And he knows them. In Habakkuk's complaint, the Lord doesn't shun him. He doesn't depart from him. The Lord responds. There is something that Habakkuk does that is easily overlooked. Because we might read through Habakkuk and and think to ourselves, yeah, I can relate. I've had times of of complaining before the Lord. Or times of, of doubt or confusion, fears. But this is not just about the prophet's inner struggle. It's what he does with that struggle that's also very important. He is praying to the Lord. We're reading and listening to a conversation. So he has brought his complaints, he's brought his troubles to the Lord. Sometimes that is the difference between obedience and disobedience. What am I doing with the trouble I have, whether it's sorrow and lament or it's complaining. We think about the disciples in the boat with the Lord amidst the storm, waves crashing in. They had their doubts. They were fearful of death itself. The Lord Jesus identifies them with having little faith. But they went to the master, the one who could calm this storm. How important this is. Practically, do I draw near to the Lord with the heart that I have? Well, consider the complaint that Habakkuk has. It comes in chapter 1, verse 12, through chapter 2, verse 1. Look at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Perhaps it doesn't surprise us here that that Habakkuk, being a prophet of God, understands who God is. That doesn't surprise us. He understands him. We might say that Habakkuk, in a sense, has a sound theology. He knows his Lord. He understands, as he mentions, that God is eternal. He says, you're from everlasting. He understands the character of God. That God is indeed holy. He knows that God's people have a future with God, even beyond death itself. He says, we shall not die. So his struggle is not with God's fundamental character. This is someone who knows who the Lord is. He doesn't believe in in some kind of cheap grace, as if God doesn't judge sin, he just passes over it. In fact, Habakkuk even seems to accept that God will use the Babylonians to reprove and judge them amidst their sin. He says, O Lord, you have ordained them, the Babylonians, as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. So there's a lot that Habakkuk understands about God, his character and his ways. It goes to show that there's a limitation with our own understanding how far our understanding can go. But this is his struggle. It's something probably most of us have struggled with with at one time or another. It's captured in verse 13. 
As he speaks to the Lord, he says, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? We've recognized, he, he knows that judgment is coming for the people of God and their spiral of sin that Israel and Judah have demonstrated. I know judgment is coming for us, but what about judgment for them? What about judgment for them? Have you ever felt that tension or struggle? Wondering why God would allow a culture or a nation to spiral into increasing godlessness. Why his hand of judgment seems long in delay. God's delay in bringing judgment. Or his delay in delivering us from a trial. Or his apparent delay in, in answering our prayers. When God delays, or it seems like a delay, that can be painful. I think a great story to capture that is with Lazarus. When Lazarus falls ill in John chapter 11, and his sisters, Martha and Mary, they go to Jesus to ask him for his help, for his ministry. And the text says this, John 11, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, here's the reason, the basis. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then... After this, he said to his disciples, let's now go to Judea again. And we learn that by the time Jesus arrives, four days had passed. Lazarus had already died. He was already laid in a tomb. The siblings are mourning. They're sorrowful. And Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus purposefully delays in coming. Purposefully allows his friends, to experience sorrow and loss and pain. The pain is purposeful. Now, we know how the story ends there. Martha says, yes, I, I know he will rise at the resurrection. And, and Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And with a loud voice cries out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is brought back to life. But it is Jesus' intended delay that serves our purpose here, his intended delay. Because I would suggest that those two, three, four days of waiting for Martha, Mary, days of sorrow, days of pain, days perhaps of doubt and questioning of the Lord, they can serve as a metaphor for the whole of our life. There's a tension created in God's delayed response. It's purposeful. And it's in that tension, which I think God also is creating for Habakkuk, that he calls us to do something that is vital for a growing, maturing, and flourishing faith. And that is to learn to wait upon the Lord. To wait upon the Lord. The Lord calls us to do this throughout the prophetic books throughout the Psalms, 
We read in Psalm 27, I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And we see it here in Habakkuk. Chapter 2, verse 1. There Habakkuk is. He says, I'll take my stand at the watch post, station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he, the Lord, will say to me. So Habakkuk is uh, waiting, he's watching, but I think we can say he's not very patient. He's on edge. He is anxious. He wants the Lord to speed things up. But the Lord responds in verse 2 and following. Write the vision, make it plain. The vision or, or the word awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow... Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. In Habakkuk's context, a judgment will come for the Babylonians, but it won't come for decades later. The judgment will come. God will make all things right. But for now, you're called to wait. Waiting is hard, isn't it? We don't want to wait for things. We don't want to wait in traffic. Does anybody like waiting in traffic? Probably not. We'll wait in line or wait for dinner. Those are the easy things. Sometimes we're waiting amidst some very, very hard realities. Haven't we corporately faced that? Or waiting for a remedy to a painful ailment. Waiting for joy to emerge out of sorrow. Waiting for a companion to share life with waiting to hear news of of pregnancy, waiting for a dark cloud to pass, waiting for justice to be done. But waiting is good because it wakes us up to the reality that there's another timetable. There's another purpose that is greater than our own. It wakes us up to the potential idol of serving our own little kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. In C.S. Lewis's work, The Problem of Pain, he says this, We try when we wake up to lay the new day at God's feet. Yet before we've finished shaving, it becomes our day. And God's share in it is felt as a tribute, which we must pay out of our own pocket, a deduction from the time which ought we feel to be our own. Waiting reminds us we live by God's timing not ours. And so it is at times hard. The the Puritans formed a a kind of doctrine of waiting. They called it God's school room of waiting. And it is that, because it's to teach us important truths. A few things that waiting teaches us in Christ. For one, it teaches us that in seasons of suffering and pain, this is not the end. Waiting wakes us up to that truth again. Uh, The singer-songwriter Sandra McCracken in her song Fool's Gold says, if it's not okay, then it's not the end. And this is not okay. So I know this is not the end. Waiting should cause the believer to long for that, as the author of Hebrews says, that better country that heavenly home. 
when we will see the Savior face to face. Waiting allows us to do that. Secondly, waiting, even hard and painful waiting, calls us to desire God's purpose over our own. Uh, There's an old hymn with these closing words. See if you grasp this. Ill that he blesses is our good. And unblessed good is ill. And all is right that seems most wrong if it be his sweet will. Waiting upon the Lord is good because what he has for us to shape us and to teach us, even if it feels ill, when blessed by his hand, is sweet. It is for our good. He has a greater purpose for us than our own. Thirdly, waiting should move the object of our heart's affection to that which is greater than our circumstance. Habakkuk, what is he fixed on? He is fixed on the wicked world around him. And that's disrupting his heart. Where's your righteousness, O God? It just doesn't fit his mind and his time. And sometimes we can view life as a kind of a large puzzle that we're put, trying to put together. We've got many of the pieces in place. And Lord, if you would just reveal this one piece. And if I can put it here, if we can fit this together, my, my life will be more complete, more whole. But life is not like that. It's much more a journey. Much more a path of faith and trust. And this is why the Lord, in verse 4, reveals this all-important phrase, one we'll focus exclusively on next week, in verse 4. It's quoted three times in the New Testament, in Romans, Galatians, and Hebrews. But we'll hear it now. Verse 4, Behold, his soul, that is the Babylonian king, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him. But the righteous, there's the quote, but the righteous, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Quoted three times in the New Testament. As opposed to the puffed up and prideful heart, the faithful wait patiently upon God, trusting. Trusting in faith. He will work out all things according to his glorious purposes. And far from being passive, faith-filled waiting is active. It's not a passive thing. We seek the Lord in prayerful reliance. We lean upon his presence. We depend upon his strength. The Christian author, Dave Harvey, says, Waiting is not just a discipline we impose. It is a grace that we experience. We lean into the promise of his blessing and provision. And Isaiah 40 is one such promise. They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He says, this is not a setup. God is not playing you. And he's not playing games. Waiting supplies power. We get lift. We experience resilience. We find strength for the long game. Sitting prayerfully in the waiting room as you keep watch for the divine physician, a strange thing happens. Faith becomes durable. 
He strengthens us as we wait upon him, as we give our heart to him. Finally, our waiting, hopefully, is reflecting the one who has waited for us, who continues to wait for us and wait upon us. Paul describes us in Romans 2, the Lord as having the riches of kindness and patience and forbearance, waiting for our own repentance, to turn to him. He waits for us. And we think mostly of our Lord Jesus. He waited patiently with long-suffering. He endured Gethsemane. He waited in agony upon the cross until everything was finished, all was finished, and our redemption accomplished. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Well, Father, thank you for the blessing of your word, for your call to wait upon you. Lord, we recognize that your timing and your ways are beyond our full comprehension. And so we pray that you would drive us to to value waiting and fixing our eyes upon you um, as of a supreme value, greater than um, the circumstances around us. We pray, Lord, with thanks that you have given to us the gift of faith by which we rest and trust in you and lean upon you. And Lord, as we, both individually and as a whole body, wait upon you, would you renew us with strength, with joy, for all that we have in your Son, Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his name. Amen.